0: Welcome to the Turtleshell Therapy Institute, a podcast made to help you learn how to feel more comfortable inside and outside of your shell. Hello, welcome to the Turtleshell Therapy Institute podcast. I'm your host, James Nihundle. I'm a licensed clinical social worker practicing in Denver, Colorado. So today we are going to be talking about the amygdala. What is it? Why do we have it and how can we work with it to manage our stress, our reactions? Um, Because that's really when it comes into play. A lot of times is stress. I am really excited. Um, I have some interviews lined up for future episodes. So just really wanted to share that because I'm super excited about it. We're going to have a guest on soon that's going to be talking to us about play therapy and family therapies that are available and how to access them and why they're helpful. Um, I'm gonna be having a Reiki healer on. Um, I'm gonna be having a colleague also come on that has studied and worked with interabled couples. So really excited about that. And I'm also having um, a very respected consultant that I know who I've worked with, who will be coming on to talk about her business and EMDR training for clinicians and just about EMDR in general. So just really looking forward to those and wanted to share that. Back to the topic at hand the amygdala so when we think of the amygdala uh there's different names for it too depending on you know the the age of the person you're talking to uh, in a lot of schools or a lot of programs or therapies for younger children we might call that like the dinosaur brain or the downstairs brain uh survival brain is one that comes up a lot it's the place where our <clears throat> Where our stress responses come in. So, when I say stress responses, I am talking about fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So, a lot of people might know of fight or flight or fight, flight, freeze, but fawn has also recently been added. So, what are they? Fight is facing any perceived threat aggressively. So, it's not necessarily hitting, but it could be. Um, but aggressively, you know, using your words, that's usually more what we see now, like yelling, trying to shut people down using aggressive language, but, uh, posturing, trying to intimidate, but yeah, also maybe like actually fighting or pushing flight is usually running away from the danger just trying to get out of the room, actually running away, trying to hide the freeze response is when you're unable to move or act against a threat. Now, sometimes people in this state, they dissociate, but they essentially go rigid. In a lot of trainings that I've been in, uh, attachment-based trainings that talk about this topic, it's similar to what we'll see with animals who will just play dead. They'll just go rigid and just hope that the threat goes away. Now it's on a spectrum. So sometimes it also just may be just kind of closing up, like you're maybe fully aware, but you just, you don't know what to say. So you just don't say anything. And then the newest one that's been added is fawn. So fawn is immediately acting to move or act against the threat. So people-pleasing, uh, this could be during or proactive, but trying to to appease them, trying to to give the the person what they want or tell them what you think they might want to hear. Just trying to ease the conflict that way. So those are the main stress responses that we'll see when the amygdala gets activated. Now, when I'm talking to clients a lot about the brain, there's... Therapists all have their different ways of talking about the brain, but it's easiest to break it up into parts. We hear some therapists talk about left brain, right brain. A lot of times when we're talking in those terms, the left brain is meaning more like the prefrontal cortex, the logical part of the brain, where executive functioning lives. So um, that includes things like critical thinking, problem solving, being able to look at something objectively and trying to assess the situation uh without emotions and using a l- more logic um and you know not necessarily logic without emotion like compassion can be there too but then there's the right brain which usually has the limbic system and the and the amygdala attached to that so more like emotions creativity um feeling joy also feeling you know the full range of emotions sadness anger fear disgust um Things may not be quite as objective. They may be more, a little more subjective and that part of the brain, and that's also where the amygdala lives. So the whole part of the brain that uh, gets activated when we are stressed out. So that's just a really simple way of looking at it. Um, I break it into three parts so the logical part of the brain the prefrontal cortex like i just explained the limbic system which is where more of the emotional part of the brain so again happiness is part of there. creativity lives there um and there is also the anxiety the the fear the the anger the sadness that full range of emotions and then the third part is the survival brain the amygdala. That's where the fight, flight, freeze, fawn response lives. And it's that's all about survival and protecting us. So we'll be talking about it mostly and broken up into those three parts. So I'm gonna be focusing here on the survival part of the brain, the amygdala. Now, when that part of our brain gets activated, it's important to remember, every living thing has an amygdala, at least every animal has has an amygdala. And its sole purpose is to keep us alive, survival, but keep in mind when it comes to humans, <clears throat> safety isn't just physical it's also emotional. The same response gets triggered and elicited whenever our our feelings get hurt really um, because we're tribal we're pack animals at the end of the day, being rejected by our own species, especially people that we really feel safe with or people that we want to be around that we think will make us feel safe or, you know, actually make us feel safe. It's scary to get rejected because if you get rejected, especially back, back before this modern age, that would usually mean we were going to die. We, we need each other in that sense. Um, and especially when it comes to attachment, we need it for our own mental health and wellness as well too. Now I don't mean that in a codependent way, um, but I'm kind of getting a little little sidetracked on that. That'll be another cover, another episode that we talk about. But the amygdala does get triggered or elicited when we feel we are gonna be rejected or attacked or hurt by people emotionally or physically. Building off that, we wanna keep in mind too that the stress response which so activating the amygdala that can happen really with, with anything. Our brains are still trying to catch up with the evolution of our society. So me running late for a meeting could elicit the same response of me being attacked by a tiger. (laughs) It all depends on my lived experiences, the associations that I've made with being late, those sort of things. Um, how I feel about myself, my attachment style, people with more anxious or avoidant attachment styles tend to see more things as a threat than maybe somebody with a secure attachment style. The fear of being socially rejected or scolded or in trouble or disliked, it's very threatening to a person with an insecure attachment style. And it can be very threatening to a person who's experienced trauma. Again, it elicits this same uncomfortable experience. Um, What if I, what if they reject me and then my emotional safety or physical safety are somehow a threat? And that's where therapy can be really helpful to sit with these emotions, process them and take what's helpful and what isn't. Because your emotional safety could be at threat And your physical safety could be a threat sometimes that I don't want to make it sound like that never happens. And we want to make sure that we're looking at a situation, especially when we're at work or with friends, um, or in a social setting, we just want to make sure that we are looking at it all objectively. And we don't want to necessarily assume that our safety is at risk. Emotions are a signal to let us know that something's going on and we might just want to check it out. Like I was saying in the last episode, it's like the check engine light that comes on in a car. It doesn't necessarily mean something is going on and we wanna make sure that we check it out sooner than later when we have time either by ourselves or with a friend or a professional, just to make sure that everything is looking okay. The reason I bring up emotions is a lot of times when we invalidate our emotions or suppress them, try to push them away, or if we feel like somebody else is invalidating them or trying to dismiss our emotions that can then start to go down into the stress response and start to activate the amygdala. And then we can go to a fight flight freeze thaw response with any of those. So an example of what that might look like, if you're telling uh, somebody that you care about, uh, that like a friend or significant other, or even a coworker, that something that they said felt disrespectful and they keep dismissing that you could see how f- that could escalate to your amygdala, especially if it keeps happening over and over, or if you are really trying to explain how the person made you feel and they just keep disrespecting you and dismissing you and maybe even they start escalating example, let's start by thinking of the fight response. In this instance, if somebody is continually dismissing and disagreeing that, that they're disrespectful towards you, or maybe even making it seem like you deserve to be disrespected, the fight response might look like you becoming more aggressive, uh, raising your voice, uh, calling them names, you know, getting more, trying to get more intimidating, wait, trying to shut them down. Um, you know, just as an example, the flight response might be you just trying to get out of there, just leaving, um, not wanting to face the person, avoiding them, that sort of thing. Um, the freeze response and with the flight response, you might not even bring it up. You might just really try to avoid the person in general and just not interact with them with the freeze response. You would just freeze up. Um, either when you're advocating for yourself, you might freeze up when they start to push back and just not say anything, um, or if you might just not say anything at all and when they are being disrespectful to you you just freeze up and don't really say anything with fawn in this situation you would avoid the conflict and if you did try to advocate for yourself the minute they started to push back then you would try to say something nice or you know like try to drop it or apologize for even bringing it up to try to appease them and make them make them stop and go away um if you even brought it up otherwise you might just constantly be trying to make the person happy in hopes that that will bring respect uh, but in that case a lot of times you end up kind of feeling like a doormat kind of walked all over and it usually doesn't earn earn the respect of the other person so that's just one little example on that um, but you can think about how it comes how these responses come up in your own life but you can see how these interactions these day-to-day interactions can, bring out a stress response and activate our amygdala, especially if we have unresolved trauma, if we have insecure attachment styles, um, or just even just when we are feeling emotionally raw or stressed out. So you're probably wondering what are some things that you can do when you do feel your amygdala getting activated? Well, being proactive is always the best is always the best intervention, if possible. Again, try not to put too much pressure on yourself to try to be proactive. That brings in the shame, which like we were talking about in the last episode, shame keeps you stuck. We wanna try and bring in compassion. Be curious about it. You went into your stress response. Maybe you got really angry, or maybe you shut down and froze, or went into your fawn or flight response, whatever it is. Bringing in the compassion. Now that's not lacking, you know, dismissing any accountability that you have in the situation. It's not giving yourself excuses. It's looking at what happened to me in that moment. What was going through my mind? How was I feeling? What was I noticing in my body? What was this reminding me of, if anything? If I can remember or notice and what can I do differently next time when and if a situation like this happens again, because then that puts us into this more solution focused, we validate our emotions, we validate ourselves because unfortunately we won't always get that from other people. And even when we do get it from other people, it can be really hard for us to feel it and believe it. If we're not able to do it for ourselves. That's one of the biggest ways to avoid an amygdala response when it's not necessary. What I mean by not necessary is there are still gonna be times in our lives where we do need that amygdala response. It's not a bad thing. It was given to us for a reason. Every creature has it. It keeps us safe, especially when we're actually in imminent danger, if we are being attacked, if we are um, gonna be hurt in some way. In a lot of ways, and I'm not saying that abuse in any form is okay. And it does exist. And these strategies, a lot of times are what got us through it. So we don't necessarily want to hate them, be ashamed of them, judge them. They're there for a reason. And what happens with trauma and insecure attachment when it isn't processed, when there isn't healing available it starts to become overgeneralized. And then it starts to become unhelpful, maladaptive, whatever word we want to use to it. But, but it starts to show up in times when we don't really need it or want it. But we're not trying to erase it. We're trying to help your brain learn how to assess the situations better so that you can utilize these protections, these defenses when they're needed. And then you can try something different, something more connecting, uh, something that feels better, something that's more responsive when when that's appropriate and necessary. If we're not aware, our body and our mind will just start to grab onto other things that are bothering us. And then you feel that tension in your body and you feel that antsiness. And like, oh, when I sit down, I just need to move. Or you feel exhausted, like I can't even move, but I still can't fall asleep. Um, What mindfulness does is it helps us get back to that more steady pace. I'll do an episode on sleep hygiene too, where I talk about this as well. Uh, A lot of times we want to just be go, 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 and then just stop, but really relaxation, whether we're talking about mindfulness, falling asleep, or just even just trying to relax and be be with our body and notice it. Takes little techniques to just slow down, so kind of fast, to just slow down the fidget spinner. That is our nervous system. So, self talk and visualization can be really helpful in either during when our amygdala is activated or when it's leading up to it, but even from our day to day, too. It can also be a proactive way to make sure that your amygdala doesn't get activated when it doesn't need to be. So since different strategies around that one, just talking kinder to yourself, more compassionately, it's surprisingly hard for us though, to talk kindly to ourselves. Now that's for a lot of different reasons. And it depends on the person. Sometimes what we do is we are, what's in our head is modeled for how we either heard like other adults, like our caregivers talking about themselves when they were upset, or how they talk to us when they were disappointed in us or upset with us that stuff can get in there and then that's how we end up talking to ourselves sometimes we just develop it on our own um even if we do have supportive caregivers and people who talk to us encouragingly Uh, sometimes people just do develop this negative self-talk about themselves for one reason or another um so when that is difficult to talk to yourself in an encouraging way it is helpful Well, a couple strategies. One uh, that I tell my clients to try a lot and experiment with is what would you say to someone you care about or another person if they were going through the same thing? Typically we tend to be more encouraging and more compassionate to our friends than we do ourselves. So if we would say it to them, try saying it to yourself, seeing how that feels, maybe even being curious why I wouldn't say that to myself. A lot of times people say, well, I don't know. And sometimes it is just because you just don't think to it's just immediately what comes up when I think about how to talk to myself or how I feel about myself when certain situations come up, just are very judgmental and shame based, but it doesn't happen to the other person. You know, there's like an exception rule. Um, and if you can think of reasons why that might exist, it is helpful to be curious about it either with yourself through journaling, um, or we're talking with a therapist or a close friend about it or a loved one. Now with journaling, just to kind of put a quick little plug in there, journaling doesn't necessarily have to be like, you know, Doug, funny style, like dear journal, uh, today, you know, it can be like that, that can be really helpful and therapeutic for a lot of people. Uh, it can also just be when I'm sitting here being mindful or curious about something, I'm just going to jot down just some notes about what I notice and what's coming up. You might even want to use like writing down some questions and then jotting down some notes about some answers or other questions that came up while you were being curious. So that's just one strategy. What would I say to a friend? Another strategy, this actually comes up more from, um, from EMDR therapy. We have a resource called an ally, and that's really helpful because what we do is we create a figure that's encouraging, that's wise, that, um, helps you feel safe and protected. And we used bilateral stimulation or dual attention stimulus to create that and enhance that feeling and pos- associate positive feelings with that figure. And then you can interact and talk with that figure. It's actually really helpful because again, when you imagine someone else talking to you, they tend to, it tends to be more compassionate than than it would be if it was you, especially if you know their entire purpose is to help cheerlead for you and help encourage you and help give you strength and empower you to do, to do things that you need to, to do, um, or just to help you process through emotions. A lot of my clients will use like Dumbledore or Gandalf. It's really hard to imagine them just like shaming you or being mad at you. Mine is actually the Phoenix from the X-Men comics and cartoon, uh, when she, when the Phoenix was, was benevolent and really good and just trying to like help the world and was very wise. A lot of times I'll imagine her just kind of wrapping me up in in her wings and just encouraging me, you know, saying things that are neutral or positive. Just, you know, you're, you are a strong, resilient person, even though you might not feel like it right now. It is true. Uh, sometimes people are just hurt and they might take things out on you or My, my Phoenix also keeps me accountable a lot too. you know, my Phoenix will say things like, yeah, that maybe wasn't the best decision and let's be curious about why you did that. And then will help me explore that. So those are just a few things that you can try whenever you do feel your amygdala getting activated or even things you can try when there are going to be situations, you know, coming up that might activate either your emotion brain or your survival brain. Some other mindfulness strategies that you can try would be something like a mindful walk. So as you're walking, just take a deep breath, and all you're really doing is just paying attention to what's going on around you. You know, and that can look like a lot of different things. That could just be just noticing the breeze or the air on your skin, what it feels like as you take a breath. That could be t- listening to the sounds around you. So leaves, maybe even traffic or cars, if that happens to be around you, um, the walk of your footsteps. One way you can think about it, there's a meme out there that is a really helpful visual and it's a man walking his dog. And it shows the man, uh, with a mind, just filled with a bunch of different things, to-do lists, uh, just, you know, stuff that we would think about on a on a regular basis, you know, as we're walking, like all the stuff we have to get done, or maybe stuff that's bothering us or stressing us out. And then the dog is just thinking about what's in front of them. That's what most mammals do. They're very present in the moment. They're aware of what's happening around them. Even when they're relaxed, not in like a stressed way, just taking it in. And even if it's not positive and enjoyable, it might just be neutral. They're just existing. And that's a key to mental wellness. That doesn't mean that I'm against planning actually quite the opposite. I think planning is very helpful and we don't want our brain to always be in that mode, then it gets stuck and it gets harder to get out of there. Just like the fidget spinner analogy I was using. It's harder to slow down and just relax and enjoy. So that's a strategy, the mindful walk also try out mindful eating. It may sound kind of odd, but just slowing down and actually enjoying our food. So taking a bite of something and actually being present and noticing what it tastes like, the chewing, all the different tastes, that can be another way to train our brain to slow down and relax so that we're less likely to get into our amygdala reaction. So, those are a few strategies to help you from getting into your amygdala and just explaining to you how the amygdala works and why we have it. Again, it's not a bad thing. We have it for a reason. It's just our brain still needs some help to really assess do I need to have an amygdala response right now? Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And we can slow things down and assess by using things like mindfulness and meditation, using therapy, self-awareness, understanding, all of those things are gonna be helpful for us so that we don't go to our amygdala so quickly. Because if we don't check in with ourselves, if we don't learn how to just be present and be aware of what's going on inside of us, then we do start to react. Well, thank you for joining me today. I hope that today was helpful and I'll plan on seeing you for our next episode. Take care.